I love a beautiful lawn. You love a beautiful lawn. Everybody loves a beautiful lawn, but they don't love how long it takes and how difficult it can be. And that is where True Green comes into play because it's the easiest and most affordable way to get that beautiful lawn. Let's be real. You've got plenty of other things to do in your free time than focus on your lawn care. So let True Green take care of all of that hard work while you get to do everything else that you want to do like go play golf. Here's what you need to do. Visit truegreen.com. Okay. It allows you to do you let them do the lawn care. And if you visit truegreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people, that is all guaranteed. You can trust true green to give you the best lawn because they are the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA tour. They offer a satisfaction guarantee and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. It's truegreen.com. Get started now. Welcome to the First Cut Podcast. I'm Rick Gaiman, and it's time for Sony Open DFS picks and betting picks. So I've brought him in. It's Greg Ducharme. Welcome in. Good morning. Uh, we're on Hawaii time this week. Oh, it's so nice. Isn't it peaceful and relaxing? I, I, you got to love Hawaii time. I love – we got it last week too, right? We get a little bit of this primetime golf coverage. For me, it, it's perfect. I get to put I get to put my son Mac down and then go back downstairs, watch a little golf, and and uh, and take some good notes. So I feel like when we're in Hawaii, I don't miss any of the action, and I love it. You know what I noticed is uh, when you're in Hawaii, and I guess this makes sense. They do a lot of those overhead shots, you know, especially last year in Maui or last week in Maui, excuse me, when there's only uh, you know 34 guys in the field and they're trying to kill time on the telecast. You get a lot of like the oh here's like a whale in the ocean. I'm like this is very yes. peaceful. Like I could just like fall asleep right now, but it's 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 awesome. Yeah, you get the paddle boarders out there. You think somebody might jump onto a whale. You don't know what's going to happen out there. It, it's pretty cool. I love seeing the scenery out there. But this week, Rick, we're going to get a little bit of a different scenery. At Kapalua, we have a mountainous golf course with, with extreme elevation changes and extreme uneven lies. This week, it seems like it's going to be something a little bit different. Yeah, Wildlife Country Club, uh, Honolulu. So so flipping over to Oahu, a short little puddle jumper. I've, I've walked this course. This is uh, basically as flat as they come. This is an easy, easy walk, Greg. Uh, and what's interesting about Wailai is it is not only hosted the Sony Open since 1965, which has got to be one of the longest running, you know, partnerships on the PGA Tour. But yeah, it's I believe a, it is. Yeah. Is it? <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's behind uh, the Masters. Augusta National has a longer run and Colonial has a longer run. I believe those are the only two that are, are longer. There you go. So we've got plenty of uh, course history, plenty of tournament history, and it's a short course. You know, it's a par 70. It plays a hair over 7,000 yards. And what I think is even more interesting, and, and Kyle and I just, we skimmed the surface on this yesterday. This is one of the few courses on the PGA Tour that has actually gotten shorter over the years. <clears throat> so it's like, it kind of really does play into that whole um, you know, you don't have to be long off the tee, and this kind of turns into a bit of a, a ball striking in an iron fest. I definitely agree with the iron fest. It tends to play as one of the more, uh, from a statistical standpoint, it, the fairways out here are some of the hardest to hit on the PGA Tour. 
uh, at least just percentage of, of fairways hit. It, it's very, very low. Players are going to miss a lot of fairways, but it doesn't tend to be a big penalty. The, the, the thing you're looking for this week is a guy that can get it between the trees. If you can keep it between yeah. the trees, kind of within the bunkers, as I like to say, you're going to be right there for, to, to get involved in this iron fest, um, as you said. And it does really seem like strokes gained approach the green, uh, and some other iron stroke, uh, iron statistics are going to be really important this week. Are there any other statistics that stick out to you? Yeah, there's a few. Um, so I, I take a very uh, hard-line statistical approach on this where I throw everything into a regression model and I look at, you know, the year-end stats for every single player and I compare it to who had success at each course and, like, just look at what the numbers tell me. And and what it does end up being is uh, strokes gained off the tee, strokes gained approach are, are usually heavy weight, heavily weighted here around – Around Wiley, which is, you know, those are your great ball strikers. And then of course, driving distance. Well, I mean, like, don't get me wrong, right? Like Justin Thomas bombing and gouging around here and shooting a 59. Like that's one great way to do it. But it like distance is not a prerequisite for this week. You can be Zach Johnson and hit every fairway, have a wedge in your hand, hit it to six feet and roll the putts in. So I think there's a couple of different ways to win here. I think so too. Um, but the, the interesting thing you mentioned is distance. I think there's a, a parallel between strokes gain off the tee and distance. So there's no question is if the longer yep. you are off the tee, you're going to be a little bit higher in, in strokes gained off the tee. And that it doesn't really matter how accurate you are off the tee. And when you have low rough, like you're going to have here, getting short clubs in your hand is going to be really important. When Justin Thomas shot that 59, we, we uh, Michael Breed and I do this uh, this little calculation. We we call it what's your par three look like, and the the par three that you play is your approach shot in regulation. Uh, and there's we we've assigned some penalties for hitting it into the rough or hitting it in the fairway bunker. And it's it's just a, a statistic we've done by hand. We've gone through a bunch of measured rounds, and Justin Thomas had a ridiculously short par three average here because he was able to get it really really close to the green. He didn't happen to miss a lot of fairways. If he did, he was, it was just a wedge in his hand. So he was, he, he was averaging inside of a hundred yards for his par three. And when you combine his wedge play with, uh, with the golf course that sets up like this, I mean, that, that's kind of a, a recipe for a 59 watch. Um, yeah. But, but I, yeah, go, go, go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say when, yeah, when you put a wedge, you know, when you're a hundred yards out, uh, often enough, these guys are just start throwing darts. And there is one other kind of trend and storyline, Greg, that I want to get your, uh, your thoughts on here, because what you'll see, you know, in the Twitter, Twitter sphere this week is the guys who came from Maui last week. 21 guys are making the trip from, from Maui to Honolulu. And historically, these guys do very well. Over here at the Sony Open. Now, you could argue, uh, which I would probably argue that it's because they are probably the better players. You know, the guys who played last week are right. PGA Tour winners. So they're coming over and now going into a full field event where they're probably the class of the field. So it makes sense that they have, uh, done better, but there is also something to probably getting to Hawaii a week earlier, acclimating to any time changes, acclimating to, you know, they played in super windy conditions in, in Maui last week. We'll talk about the, the weather for the weather forecast for this week in a second. But like, what do you think about this little narrative that we've got going on about these guys coming over from, from Maui? The the last six winners of the Sony Open have played in the Tournament of Champions the week before. You bring up an interesting point that they are probably better players uh, because they won last year. But I, I, there's another factor in this. And we saw this last week in a different perspective where the top of the leaderboard was filled with guys who played in the President's Cup. Again, 
the guys that played in the President's Cup are probably the better players in the world. But there's definitely a, a parallel where when you're playing a lot, you're in you're you're in your in season form. And this is the first full field event of the year. We've had the quote unquote off season in golf. As short as it is, it's still an off season. And I think for these players who have played in the President's Cup, who played in the Century Tournament, the champions, they're closer to midseason form than other players. And uh, I, I think that is a huge factor in, in why they have success at the Sony Open. And there's one other factor that sticks out to me. And um, I, I almost feel like when you watch Xander Shoffley and Justin Thomas, uh, m- more so those two players than, than Patrick Reed, but when they got done with their rounds in the interviews, they seemed exhausted. They seemed yeah. almost relieved that it was done. The first word that Xander Shoffley says when he gets done is it's windy, right? It's, <laughs> it's tough. These guys look like they've been through battle. Yeah. And part of it's the wind. Part of it's also the slopes that you're navigating. And it's almost like when you get to, when you get to the Sony open, it's, it's like a, a breath of fresh air. Like you get a chance to relax a little bit. The walk is easier. It's a little less stressful. Do you agree? Uh, yeah, I certainly don't don't disagree with with any of that. I mean, especially this time of year where it's kind of awkward in this in this middle time where we've had the President's Cup, we've had a couple of weeks off from the PGA Tour. The guys that are just playing, it kind of makes sense that they're the ones that are able to knock the rust off a little bit. Sometimes it takes guys a couple of weeks and a couple of starts to get going, but if if you're trying to avoid the wind, uh, you might not be able to avoid it this week because I've got the weather forecast uh, pulled up. And, you know, it looks like they're going to be dealing with, you know, 25 mile an hour winds at least Thursday and Friday. It looks like the weekend might settle down a little bit. But then you've got basically a chance of rain between 30 and 60 percent, like literally every hour throughout Thursday through Sunday. So we might have some situations where, um, you know, the wind starts kicking up and 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 it might actually – uh, benefit one of the draws now that we're in a full field event, the AM PM or the PM AM over the other end of the draw because, and, but of course, Greg, it's, it's Hawaii. This can, this can change, but there is appearing to be, uh, some more, you know, I don't want to call them concerns, but weather things to deal with this week. I think there will be weather things to deal with. Wind <laughs> at 20 to 25 miles an hour is, is no easy bargain. I don't care what golf course you're playing on. And when you include in that, couple of penalty areas off the tee, a couple of penalty areas approaching greens. That's when you start to get uh, – th- that's what makes tour pros nervous. Tour pros get nervous when you have wind and you have water, and it's probably the best way to scare them because that it's the only shot you can't recover from is a shot when you're in the water. Hmm. And when your ball's in the air, it, it's, not a, it's not a nice feeling in the wind. So I think this further highlights players who are, are uh, very solid off the tee and solid with their irons as you said earlier. Um, but Rick, I was looking at some of the course statistics and it seems like you mentioned the draw early and late. I'm also wondering, is there an advantage that you see in the uh, front nine start versus back nine start? Um, if you, if you look at some of these statistics here, the double bogey count on the front nine is nearly twice as high as it was on, on the back nine last year. And it's been significantly higher throughout history. Um, but, but do you think if, if the front nine, which definitely seems to play a, a slightly harder than the back nine, do you think there's an advantage to starting on one or the other? So I actually go back and forth on this quite a bit. Um, and I think unfortunately, uh, for guys like me who I like a clear cut statistical answer, I think the answer is probably it depends on the golfer. I think there are some guys who relish the opportunity to jump out, uh, get going really, you know, be three under par or four under par when they're making their turn and they can keep momentum going. 
Or I think there are guys who, you know, hey, let me just hold it together through the difficult nine. I can hold it together. I don't give it away. And I know I've got nine holes ahead of me that I can go out and I can take strokes from. I, I really, I, I, I think there is something to it, Greg. I just think it is more on a per player basis and almost like a mindset basis on how they react to it or how they can convince themselves to react to the differences in the nines. Yeah, I, I do think too, you'll see on this golf course when you get to the weekend, um, which is a little bit different than that draw, but you're definitely going to see scoring opportunities late. Um, looking, I mean, the 18th hole was the 17th easiest hole last year. The ninth was the 18th easiest hole, but the holes leading up, they're, they're the double bogey count on the back nine being as, as low as it is compared to the front. I, I think getting off to that start where it's a, it's a very risky start, making a, a double bogey early in a round, and in some cases can be better than making a, a double bogey late in the round, or I guess yeah. middle of the round. So like the second hole, for instance, it, it had 17 double bogeys last year. It was the highest by far by, uh, by nearly 10 double bogeys. So, so yeah. that's a hole that's really risky. Some players, when they get to the second hole and they make a double bogey, that's going to sort of end their chances. They're going to get uh, flustered and they're not going to be able to recover. Whereas there are some players that say, okay, well, I've kind of gotten that out of the way. Now let's play some golf. I have plenty of time to recoup, and I have a back nine full of birdie off. Yeah, I like it. We'll keep an eye on it this week, but your your point is well taken because three of the first four holes played over par last year, and then four of the last five played under par. So there's a lot of jockeying uh, coming in. So on the weekend, it should make for some very exciting golf as these guys wrap up their rounds and should be out there making a, making a bunch of birdies and whatnot. All right. Let's jump into this, Greg, because we've got a full field event uh, with uh, there's some there's some pretty good golfers here, and then we got a lot of young guys. So let's start, and we'll look at the DraftKings pricing, and we will just kind of go through each one of these uh, through each one of these tiers here. So we'll start with the guys that cost ten thousand dollars or more. Justin Thomas checks in at twelve thousand dollars. This is uh, basically the most expensive he's ever been on DraftKings within the last two years, probably deserved. Webb Simpson at eleven thousand one hundred, Patrick Reed at ten eight, Hideki at ten five, and Colin Morikawa at ten three. So those are the five in like tier number one. I think it's very clear, you know, uh, Justin Thomas will probably be very popular, but you're going to have to pay that big price tag on him. It is a big price tag. I mean, it almost just just the price tag alone makes me consider uh, playing a, a little fade on Justin Thomas here. The thing that gives me a little pause is he last time he won the Century Tournament of Champions, uh, he he answered with a uh, victory at the Sony Open. That was in 2017. So it, it makes me feel like, uh, this is probably a good week for Justin Thomas. If he wasn't so expensive, and I know he is for that reason, he's an all-day pick. I mean, he's, he is the favorite for a very good reason. He is all yeah. of the things that are required around here, right? We mentioned the distance off the tee, the strokes gain off the tee, the strokes gain approach the green, the, the edge play, the desire to win. It, Justin Thomas seems to me like he's on a mission this year, uh, and, and it seems like he may have world number one in his sights, uh, definitely major championships. So it, it's hard not to pick him. Does that price scare you? It doesn't necessarily scare me. It just is going to have like that. His price dictates who else is going to have to get into your lineup. So when we get down to the bottom of this list and, and try to figure out, hey, are we are we comfortable enough playing someone who costs sixty five hundred dollars so that we can get Justin Thomas in our lineups like that's the decision that we're going to have to make. I will tell you, Greg, when Justin Thomas costs $11,000 or more, 
he pays off a lot. Like, I mean, the five of the last 10 times he's cost $11,000, he's scored at least 100 DraftKings points. The other four times, he's basically in the 80s or 90s. Like, he hasn't ever really killed you at that price tag. So I think he's one of the safer guys to go up and pay for. Um, I will probably get as much of him as I can, but it really is going to almost be dictated about the bottom of this uh, pricing tier here. And being in the in the first full field event of the year, there are a number of players down at uh, kind of the lower end. So you may be able to get a, a nice sleeper in there. I, I know I have a couple on my list, which we'll get to a little bit later, but it, it may be a real possibility. Um, so, again, I just think Justin suits the, the golf course so well. He's playing so well. It, it's going to be hard for me to to fade Justin Thomas this week. Yeah, so now there there is an interesting – so if you want to move off of Justin Thomas and you want to play one of these other guys, um, I think Webb is really kind of interesting. So he's 11100 You get a $900 discount on him. And in the same way that – okay, so Justin Thomas has won, what, three of his last seven starts, like something wild like that. Uh, Webb Simpson has come in second uh, four times in his last eight starts. So, like, I know there's a big difference between first and second, but, like, that's pretty great results for a guy who, you know, has a lot of uh, good runs here at the Sony Open. He finished he finished 13th three straight times between 2015 and 2017, <laughs> yeah, I saw which that. is, like, almost impossible. It's almost impossible to do. Um, and then in 2018, which is the last time he played here, he finished fourth. So, like, I... I, I you know, the, his lack of distance shouldn't kill him here. He's a, a good ball striker, and he has obviously figured out the putting situation, you know, since he had the anchor ban and went through all that stuff. So uh, I think Webb is a pretty decent pivot if you're trying to save the money and not play Justin Thomas. He's definitely a good pivot. He, he loves the golf course. He's, as you said, he's playing well, uh, and, and he's great with the irons in his hand. He really is an excellent iron player. Uh, he was 14th last year in strokes gain approach the green which I really like, uh, and, and he's a guy who can play par fours, an important thing when you're on a par 70 golf course with only two par fives. I, I just believe it'll be important. Last year, he was tied third in that statistic. So uh, statistically, he definitely makes sense. I, I, I also think from just kind of the way it feels, the President's Cup may have been a little bit of an outlier because he, he had to deal with uh, Patrick Reed, but his match in the singles kind of showed you that he's still a guy who's playing really well. It, it's a It's a really solid pivot. I don't know if you can be as confident with Webb as you can with Justin, but he's probably going to get, uh, he's probably going to be less popular. Do you, do you agree with that? Do you think that there might be a, a, a lower own percentage for Webb Simpson? I think so. I actually think both of these guys, um, I think if you're going to pay up for over $11,000, you'll just, yeah, you'll just jam in Justin Thomas and figure out something to do elsewhere. Uh, so I do think Webb kind of gets looked over a little bit because you could play like Morikawa's here. Matt Kuchar is even, you know, cheaper than that. So like, I think there are other options to start your lineups. The one guy, Greg, and we talked about him a lot last week. I think Patrick Reed is fool's gold. You know what I mean? Like he's $10,800. I know he finished second, but I, I'm not sure I'm trying to reinvest uh, my dollars back into Patrick Reed, who gained like 13 strokes you know, on his short game last week around the green and putting. It was a, a massive outlier. I'm, I'm a little bit concerned about going back and trying to see if he can repeat that performance. Well, it, it should be a golf course where you don't need a lot of short game. It should be a course where you're going to hit a lot of greens. It should be an iron fest. It, it can become a birdie fest. Even if it gets windy, I, I think you can still see 
uh, a score 15 under par or, or greater, especially if it calms down on the weekend, it'll probably approach 20 under par. And is a player who's struggling with his irons, if you, if you call it that, I mean, he missed over half his grades of regulation over the weekend last week. Is that player going to be able to rely on a short game and get to the number required? Uh, I, I just, I, I'm not exactly sure if he's going to be able to do that. So I, I have some questions as well with Patrick Reed. Uh, it, can, how long can you hold on to this for in the wind on a, a little bit of a tighter golf course? I just, I, he's, he's almost too expensive for me to go that way, even though he's putting great and, and he's had a great record over the past little bit. All right, here's the last two guys in the $10,000 range. I think these guys are going to either, like, they will be the leverage points. They will either win you or lose you a uh, a, a big tournament on DraftKings. And it's Hideki Matsuyama at 10-5, and it is Colin Morikawa at 10-3. So um, Hideki, this is kind of shocking, Greg. Hideki, as good as he is, when you talk about ball strikers and and Hideki being the world's elite ball striker, has had like the worst possible success here at the Sony Open that you could ever imagine. A 51st last year, 27th in 2017, 78th in 2015, and then three straight missed cuts before that. I don't know how it's possible that he's been so bad around here. I don't know either. It's a strange thing. I, I, you would you would think, like you said, this would be a great place for a Hideki Matsuyama. But, you know, again, it's a golf course where scoring gets really, really low. And uh, I, I think sometimes you got to get a putter going. And, and if you struggle on a golf course with some Bermuda-type greens, you struggle on some of these uh, the, these greens, it's hard to make birdies. And you can shoot some pretty good scores. You know, if you shoot eight under, you could finish uh, outside the top 30 in a heartbeat at this point at this piece of property. So as good of a ball striker as he is, you got to get the ball in the hole and gives him a hard time going, going really low. So I, I am uh, definitely hesitant to take Hideki Matsuyama this week. Yeah, I am too. I don't think I, I don't think I've got the guts to do it, but I am very interested in Colin Morikawa who sits right below him at 10,300. The last guy in this pricing range who, uh, it's a small sample size. We only have 12 measured events on him, but he has gained strokes on approach um, in a, in a 10 of his last 11 uh, as a professional, which we know he's an awesome ball striker. But I think the thing that gets really overlooked with Colin Morikawa is he's also really good off the tee. Like he's gained strokes off the tee in like 10 of his in 10 of his last 12 measured rounds. So he's not going to do it in a way like Justin Thomas, where he's just going to bomb it over the trees on on 18 and like you know cut every dog leg but he's not going to kill you off the tee i think this kid is so good i can't wait to see what 2020 has in store for him and this feels like a pretty good fit because he's not he's not the longest guy out there i do agree and let me tell you a little bit here about colin morcow because there's something about him when you compare him with these uh these other young players and he seems to be in a class with matthew wolf and victor hovland and joaquin neiman that seems to be kind of the group we're comparing and he has a maturity to me that I think uh, I, I think it's a little bit higher than the, the other players. It's a slight edge. The other players are quite mature as well. But there's a calmness about Colin Morikawa that I love to see. And when he gets in pressure situations, that golf swing, the tempo, it doesn't change. He never looks like he's in a situation that he can't handle. And I love seeing players have a, a calmness like that. And as you mentioned, all the statistics are great. He is an incredibly solid iron player, an incredibly solid driver of the golf ball. He's going to put himself in position a lot, and that leads to these recent results. Uh, Tied 22nd at the Zozo, tied 36th at the CJ Cup, which that can be a tough little stretch for 
especially for a young player. Uh, tied 10th at the Safeway Open and, of course, last week tied 7th at the Century Tournament of Champions. I think the maturity of Colin Morikawa puts him in a in a uh, elevated class amongst these young guns, and I, I too am very excited to see what happens to him in 2020. The next range, the nine thousand dollar range, I think is one of the more compelling because you've got the defending champion Matt Kuchar in here at ninety nine. You have Sung J M, who I cannot love anymore at ninety six hundred. Joaquin Neiman at ninety four. Leishman at ninety two. Charles Howe the third, who's to Kyle's point made like a hundred million dollars at this course alone, uh, at ninety one hundred dollars. Abraham Answer at nine thousand. So. Uh, young guys mixed with defending champion mixed with veterans. There's kind of, you know, it's a grab bag, whatever you want out of this $9,000 range. Is there someone in here that stands out to you who would set up well for this week? Abraham answer. He's the Mm. first guy that comes to my mind. Uh, And you know, he's almost, he's, he can be easy to overlook. We don't really, we're not really as familiar with him. We are a little bit more after the president's cup, but we're not, uh, as familiar with him as say a Matt Kuchar who won here a year ago. Uh, but I, I do agree with you that all th- this entire group here is very compelling. I don't think there's a bad answer in here. I think Sung Im is a, a great choice uh, as well, but I think that I, I think Abraham answer really learned something at the president's cup. And I think you're going to see him uh, shine this year as a player. I, I think he has a, a motivation and a belief in himself that he can stand up against the best players in the world and win. And sometimes that's all it takes. And I would not be surprised at all if Abraham Answer jumped up this leaderboard early on on Thursday. So Answer is interesting because he is one of the rare guys. And Morikawa is kind of this way, where they're not very long off the tee, but they they gain a ton of strokes, which means they're hitting a ton of fairways. They're putting themselves in position like like they're elite off the tee. And when you get a course that is as narrow uh, in some of these fairways and uh, as short as we know Wiley is, like that tends to be the right recipe. So I, I like Answer. I'm very intrigued at Joaquin Neiman at $9,400. Now, remember this, Greg, like two years ago when he first made his debut and, you know, the first six events that he had, he like led the field in every strokes gain category. And we like, yeah. we like crown, we like crowned him, right? We're like, this is the next, at the time we were saying he's the next Jordan Speed, right? Cause it right. was like two years ago. Um, but like he, he then, of course, golf is very difficult and, you know, went on a little bit of a run where we would expect from a 19 year old where he didn't play that well of golf. But things have certainly turned around for him. You know, he he gets his first win at the Greenbrier. He finished uh, in a tie for fifth at this week's or last week's tournament of tournament of champions. And uh, it, it, the thing I like about him, and when I'm when I'm playing on DraftKings, Greg, I'm not trying to like double my money. I'm trying to like win the whole thing and win all the money. So like I like these really risky kind of highly volatile guys, which is what I think Neiman is. I think that he is going to be a guy that. He's going to finish dead last and miss the cut a lot, and he is going to win a lot. Like, and, and he's never going to be a safe option because his swing is kind of, it's very unique. You know, he, the telecast did a great job last week showing like he has this huge head drop and he can hit shots fat a lot, but when he figures it all out and it clicks, he's awesome and he can make a ton of birdies. So I think $9,400 for a guy that legit has like winning upside gets me excited. And you, it's so interesting. You look at his, his statistics and the strokes gain. He, he is a, definitely a gainer in the ball striking category. Uh, this year he's 13th in strokes gain approach the green. He actually is first in strokes gain putting, uh, for the year. I know it's a limited sample size for this year. Last year he was 141st in strokes gain putting, but he, uh, that led to some of his struggles earlier this year. Um, 
It was the putting because you look at his uh, strokes gain off the tee. He was tied 35th last year uh, and 25th in strokes gain approach the green. So for a guy that's so good in the in the tee to green categories from a numbers perspective, he does hit a lot of squirrely shots. We saw yeah. it at the President's Cup. We saw it last week. And these are shots that uh, speak to what you said about it, it's highly volatile. It, you don't really know what you're going to get. I like to call a player like Joaquin Neiman trick or treat. He could win the <laughs> tournament, but he could also miss the cut. So when you're looking at your lineups, and and I know you're going to have a couple here, how how much are you going to invest in a in a uh, in a Joaquin Neiman? Are you going to go all in on him, or are you going to just kind of plug him into a, a couple lineups here and there? So generally, I I tend to play a fairly high risk, high reward strategy where if I like you know these three or four guys, I lock them into quite a few lineups. But I do it is kind of based on the type of golfer. So even like a Justin Thomas, like if I decided Justin Thomas needs to be in all my lineups, like he's a lot safer than, than the rest of these guys. Like I would feel more comfortable playing Justin Thomas in 60% of my lineups, for example, and Joaquin Neiman, who I'm still very high on and who I still like a lot. I know he's risky. I know that a much larger percentage of the time he's going to burn me. Like maybe I just put him in like 30% of my lineups, which is still going to give me a significant exposure to him but if if he does miss the cut if he trunk slams on friday and, and heads home like I, i'm not you know i still have a, a couple of bullets for for the weekend so that's kind of right. the way i do it just because i know like and and i think identifying the guys who are risky and who are not risky is kind of step one there all right eight thousand dollar range this is uh there's a couple of other guys in here and we don't need to go through all of them but we're talking about uh, at 8900 Corey connor's Alex Noren, Kevin Kisner, Snedeker, Cam Smith, Ches Reavy, uh, the Todd father, Brendan Todd, Brian Harmon, JT Poston, and Andrew Putnam. For me, Greg, um, this tier kind of starts and stops with Corey Connors. I think he's, he's pretty much the class of this, of this tier here. If you look back at 2019 strokes gain numbers, he was eighth in strokes gained off the tee and ninth in approach. Like they're, like literally top 10 elite ball striker. On the PGA Tour. Now, the problem, of course, <laughs> is the closer he gets to the green, uh, the worse it gets. Yeah. Um, 139th <laughs> in strokes gained around the green, 181st when he actually makes it to the putting service. And it's just like what I like about Corey Connors um, is just putt average. You know, if he when he won the Valero, he gained two strokes putting. For the whole week, you know, we see uh, usually winners gain a lot more than that, uh, but he doesn't need to because the rest of his game is so good. So it's one of these situations where just put average for the week. And and I like guys, Greg, that only like one thing has to go right. The one thing that has to go right for Corey Connors is he has to putt well. Um, now, that might be very difficult for him to actually do, but that's the only thing that needs to happen because the rest of his game is so good. Now, you make some great points, and I, I'm with you. I, I like guys where only one thing has to go right for them to win. There's kind of that one-week link. You get it, that hot putting week. You know he's going to have a great ball striking week because he does yeah. every single week. I mean, this right. is a guy who, who Monday qualified for this tournament and came in tied third last year, and and that set a, a record that was only broken a couple of weeks later where he, he Monday qualified and won. So yep. it, it's definitely uh, an impressive player when when you have that kind of ability. The thing I worry about with Corey Connors this week is um, the putting, as you mentioned, not just the putting from a statistical standpoint, but what we're going to get with the weather conditions. And we're going to get 
windy conditions this week. And you take a, a guy who struggles, especially in these uh, in, in the the short range. I mean, I guess he struggles everywhere on on the greens. But you look at him from four to eight feet. He's 183rd. You look at him uh, as he gets closer and closer to the hole. Like you said, uh, fit, he, he's 163rd from five feet, uh, and from six feet, he's 183rd. I, I, when we're in windy conditions, even the best ball striker, you're going to leave yourself some uh, some some opportunities, I guess you could say, where you have to get the ball up and down, or where you have to lag putt successfully, where you have to make a, a, a five or six putter. You, you have to make some par putts in that four to eight foot range. And, and there's wind in, the, in those putts. And I think it becomes very difficult. When you take a guy who's not very confident um, with the putter to begin with, and you you stick him in blustery, windy conditions, and and force him to make a, a putt for par. I think it's a difficult thing. So I definitely have some concerns with Corey Connors this week, as good as he looks on paper. It's it's valid. I mean, anytime he steps on the green, I I start sweating a little bit. But if it's not Corey Connors in the eight thousands, which one of these other guys gets you most excited? Cam Smith. Mm. Uh, I, I I think Cam Smith is a guy who. He's kind of is maturing in front of our eyes a little bit. And I, yeah. I know we talked about that a little bit with Joaquin Neiman. We've talked about, uh, I talked about it with Abraham Hanser as well. The, the guys that are playing in, in the President's Cup, it's something that I think bodes really, really well. And Camp Smith is another guy who has a, a strong all around game. Um, there, there are times when he can play. I think Camp Smith is a guy that believes he can win. And I think he had a little attitude coming in uh, at, at the President's Cup that said, look, I'm I, I'm going to go with these Americans toe-to-toe. I'm going to beat yeah. them. I'm not afraid to open my mouth, talk about Patrick Reed. I'm not afraid to put myself out there uh, in some of these situations. Now, from a statistical standpoint, he's not necessarily uh, exactly what we're looking for, right? 140th in strokes game. Satila, 10th approach to the game. That's not really what we're looking for. But what I, what I believe is Cam Smith is a better ball striker than what those numbers show. And I think he can show that in a week. I think he's a guy that will make a lot of putts. I think he's got the right attitude. And I think he's, I think he's a player who can put it together for a week. And, and I expect to see a good ball striking week out of Cam Smith. Well, he is, uh, I read he's donating $500 per birdie, $1,000 per eagle to the Australian Wildlife uh, Fund. So I hope he goes out and wins this thing, makes a bunch of birdies yes. along the way. Um, all right, so now we'll go to the sub, the sub eight. So the 7,000. Now this is the range where you start getting into, okay, if I need to play Justin Thomas, uh, probably looking at the bottom of this range for someone to pair him with. So there's a lot of guys here. I'm not going to read off all the names. There's like 25 guys in the $7,000 range, but there's a couple that stand out. I mean, Lonto Griffin is here. He's, he's been, you know, the swing season or the early part of the season stud on the PGA tour. You've got, uh, veterans like Zach Johnson, Daniel Berger, and then you have guys who, you know, some of these guys did play last week, and specifically the one that I think I'm most interested in being Sebastian Munoz. And this kind of goes back, Greg, to the whole volatile thing. Like, I like that he's volatile. Uh, you know, he lost five strokes on approaches at the Century Tournament of Champions. We see, we've seen him gain five at the Greenbrier. We've seen him lose three in Houston. We've seen him gain three at Sanderson. Like, his approach game is all over the place. The rest of his game is pretty solid. His, his short game is is great. His putter's great. He gains off the tee more often than not. It's really just that ball striking, those irons. And the fact that he's at least capable of some weeks being like five or six on the plus side gets me excited because if I catch that week, he's going to go out and win this thing. 
I I think you're right. You, you you're trying to catch a week. He, he is yeah. a risky pick. That's probably why he's priced where he is. It's no doubt a risky pick. Not mm-hmm. a lot of experience uh, in, in these moments, but um, it, it's it's something that I would be interested in. Although his performance last week kind of gave me it, it let me down a little bit. I was yeah. looking at him last week as a guy who was going to have a, a really really nice week. Um, so uh, I'm not so sure about it. It's definitely risky. I, I think you will get um, some great benefits if you hit on it. And and like you said, you're trying to win all the money. It's right. a, it's a, it's a good place to start if you get him winning this tournament. Well, I think it's funny because um the the thing we were I mean I know producer Jacob was interested in uh Sebastian uh, Munoz as well, but he he played the last two on Friday five over par, right? He came yeah. in double triple, which you know I hate to play the what if game, but like you get in even par through those holes. Eighteen was one of the easiest holes on the course. You know you get in you get in even, and he's T eight going into the weekend, and it you know a lot of it looks different, but um. Yeah, so I, I mean, I think it's, you're absolutely right. If he's, he's risky, if, if he wasn't, he would cost, you know, $10,000. He costs 7900 So when you're down here in this range, you're definitely going to be taking on and inheriting some risk no matter what. No question. So which, you know, so are there any guys down here, uh, that stick out more than others? Cause this is kind of where you're going to be able to make some hay, I think. Yeah, I got two guys on my list down here. One of them's way down. Um, but, but real quick on Sebastian Munoz, I believe it was at the Houston Open. I had him in my lineup that week and he had some really good streaks going. He was making a ton of birdies and he just, he kept making bogeys and doubles. He kept hitting into penalty areas and he would either play out of them or take a drop. And it kind of reminds me of a, a feel of what I expect to see at the Sony Open here where there's some wind and there's some water. And again, he's another one of these trick or treat players where I just, I, there's a little too much risk for me. I may be a little more conservative than you, but I, I worry about those penalty areas for him this week. But the two guys in this range that I see on my list, uh, first and foremost is Scott Piercy. Yeah. Uh, he's way down there at 7,100. He has a pretty nice record here. Uh, he was tied 33rd last year, tied 25th the year before. He was second back in 2015. Um, and tied 13th in 2016. And I think he's one of those players that we talk about all the time is an excellent iron player, right? He, he is third right now, uh, in, in strokes gain approach the green so far this year. He can play in the wind. He is, uh, I think an excellent player, uh, tied 26 at Mayakoba, which I, uh, interestingly enough, the last two winners of this tournament also won at Mayakoba. So I, I'm interested to get your thoughts on that little parallel, but I just, I look at Scott Piercy's game and I think, I think he's underpriced this week. So, um, what are your thoughts on Scott? Yeah, I mean, I I tend to like him because uh, of the iron game, right? The approach is he's always so solid there, and and when you get that that stat that's so sticky and so relevant to a lot of successes on the PGA Tour, you're never really going to get an argument from me. Um, I, I completely agree. <laughs> I, I, I love the guy this week. I, I think he's uh, he's definitely going to be in my lineup. So at that price, that allows you to get a Justin Thomas. Uh, or a Webb Simpson in your lineup too. So, um, very helpful. The other guy that interests me is Ryan Palmer. And, uh, the last, the last two outings here have not been great, but before that, he's had some really, really uh, impressive starts here. He was first in 2010, um, and then tied eighth in 2014, tied 17th and 15th, tied 13th in 2016. Um, in 2018, it was a tied 58. So, um, not great there, but I, I think Ryan Palmer is a, another one of these players who's playing really nicely, uh, leading into this. He was tied 12th at the CJ Cup, tied 10th at the Zozo, and, uh, tied 17th last week, which wasn't necessarily a, a great tournament for him, 
but it was definitely a, not a bad performance. He had, right. a, he had a tough third round. And I, I think Ryan Palmer's a guy on a golf course like this that can really, really tear it up. Yeah, it, it it was interesting. He popped in a couple of the the stat models that I was looking at as well. So let's put a bow on uh this DraftKings portion of the show here and get down under seven thousand dollars because this is really. I mean, there's a lot of guys here. There's like 50 guys in the field under $7,000. A lot of them are, are first timers, uh, you know, with their PGA uh, tour card for the first time, getting their season started off. So, uh, to me, I think there's one that generally stands out above the rest. Uh, I'm kind of on Zach Blair here at $6,700. Interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, he's super long. He's 150 to one to win the golf tournament to kind of put this into perspective. But, uh, uh his last three Sony open starts are 57th third and sixth uh coming in he's got a t4 this season at safeway t14 at mayakoba played a lot on the corn Ferry tour last year had to go down and and get his card he won an event late he racked up the top tens there i think with zach blair there are like six tournaments a year he's live in um and, and i think this is one of them because it's one of the shorter it's one of the shorter uh, courses on the Rota and you also get the fact that he's had good success here. So it, it's, it's really deep. It's a really, um, you know, it, it opens up a lot of salary options if you can get him into your lineup and he can at least make the cut because that's really all you're asking for from someone down in this range. Yeah. Very interesting pick. I mean, the, the guys you've suggested here are, are very, Risky, very volatile. I guess you hit on them all. Like, this is the recipe to win. So make sure you're taking some notes here. <laughs> yeah, maybe not take all of them in your lineup, but like sprinkle them in because, uh, yeah, they, they are certainly the high risk side of it. No doubt about it. There's one guy on my list that sticks out to me. I think he's going to have a really nice week. Uh, and he's played well in the wraparound season. It's Adam Long. Uh, I, I look at Adam Long in this in this portion of the season, in the wraparound season, and he hasn't missed a cut, first of all, which is really nice. He came in tied second at Mayakoba, which I mentioned the last two winners at Mayakoba have also won here. So there's definitely a parallel between those two golf courses. Uh, he, he was tied 14th at the Greenbrier, uh, tied 23rd at the Sanderson Farms and the Safeway Open, um, and, and uh, tied 23rd last week at the Century Tournament Champions. And that's one, I just like the fact that he played. The tournament that he won to get into this was the Desert Classic, which was right after the Sony Open last week, so, uh, last year. So I do believe there's kind of at this time of year, he's played really well, played really nicely. He did miss the cut last year at the Sony, but I think Adam Long is a player that's maturing and I think he's going to have a great week. I like it. All right. So Greg, I want to get your, uh, just real quick, your, your bets for this week. We'll spend a couple of minutes on that, but first let's take a quick break and hear a word from our partners. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. 
With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. And we're back. All right, Greg, we've covered the DFS uh, preview in depth here. We've gone through every single one of the pricing tiers. So let's just jump in. I think, you know, we kind of have an idea of who we like, who we don't like. And I want to talk a little bit about bets. Um, now, Justin Thomas clearly uh, head and shoulders above the rest of the field here. I think we know that he's a great play, but he's five to one to win this golf tournament. Are you going to invest your dollars at that price or are you willing to go somewhere else up top? I I think at the top of the top, I, I think he's a, a good bet. You know, we're talking about betting to win. And one of the important things when you're in this category is you have to take guys that are that are comfortable winning. Uh guys that have won a lot before. And Justin Thomas has won twelve times already. He's not afraid to win. It's not like it's not like last week was a was a fluke. It's not like last week was he won and now he's gonna exhale. Justin Thomas is a guy that thinks he can win every single time he tees it up. I think there's a lot of value in that. And I, I wouldn't be afraid to invest in Justin Thomas. I really agree with like you have to have some level of win equity. Like like there there is, uh, you know, believe it or not, there are, there's just guys on tour and in every field that I mean they just can't win. And it's not necessarily a knock, but they're just not going to win the golf tournament. Um, which I'm the king of like betting some guy you know who's sixty to one to win. He finishes like T six, and I'm like, oh, that was a good showing. But at the same time, he still didn't win. Doesn't catch right. that. Doesn't catch that bet. So I I really like JT. Um, it's tough for me to pull the trigger on that. Uh, but I do like some of these guys who we know can win. Even Colin Morikawa, who won the the alternate event, sixteen to one. Um, this feels like a really good spot for him or someone like Joaquin Neiman at 33 to one, who we've already seen win this year uh, at the Greenbrier. Like those are two guys. I, I completely agree. There has to be some level of win equity when you're making these bets. What do you think about Sung JM? He's a guy that's never won before on the PGA tour. Oh, he's going he's to at, at 27 to one. I, I mean, could this be a week for Sung JM? Yeah, it's certainly possible. And what I think is going to happen. So you have to decide what side of the fence you want to be on with Sungjae, which is you're going to be early and you're going to, you know, you're going to burn through a couple of bets, but you're going to catch him at like 27 to one or whatever he's at right now. But once he wins, I'm afraid once he wins, you're never going to get a number like this again. Like if he wins this week or he wins once between now and the Sony and, and we just played this back for 2021, he comes back in here and he's probably 12, 13 to one His his odds get cut in half. So I, I, I know it's coming. Like the dude is going to win, uh, especially because he tees it up so often. But yeah, you, I think you just have to decide, am I comfortable um, you know, burning a few bets with him not winning for him to capture that first one while he's knocking on the door before it opens, or do I want to wait until he's a proven winner and then pay, you know, get get my odds cut in half? Yeah, I, I really think I have this funny feeling. I know that first, it's been a while since we've had a first time winner here at the Sony Open, but I, I really do think a player like Sung JM with his game, his ability, I, I, he can play in the wind. He's a solid ball striker. 
uh, and, and he just keeps going about his business. It's interesting. He's almost had a little bit of time off. I wonder if it's too much <laughs> yeah. time off. But It's like the I most mean, time he's taken off in like uh, two years. <laughs> right, and I'm sure he hasn't taken time off, right? I'm sure we were joking. He's probably – I'm sure he's playing uh, in plenty of games. I'm sure he plays every day at his home course. There's no such thing for time off with some JM. But, man, I look at those odds. I look at that player, and I just – I have this funny feeling that this is the week for him. I hope you're right. I hope you're right. All right. So uh, we've covered a lot of these golfers in the field. Let's just remove uh, all the pricing from DraftKings. Let's remove all the odds. I'm going to get you on the record. Who is going to win this golf tournament? Webb Simpson. Oh, I think I like it. He's due. I, he's just he's due. He's playing so well. He's putting himself right there, right in position time and time again. I do believe he's comfortable winning. Uh, and I think he's tired of second place. And I think that's going to go a long way for him. He's done with this another good week. Webb is ready to win. I, I like Webb Simpson this week. I really like Webb. But in um, for purposes of this show, I, I'm going to take uh, I'm going to take Morikawa. I, I, there's every time okay. I, every time I look at it, I just keep going back to he's in the small sample that we have. He's been so good and. Even though it was, say what you want about the alternate field event, he doesn't care. He went out and he beat a, a field of golfers who were all competing to win. And this feels like one of the better setups for him. So I'm going to say Colin Morikawa crowns himself on his first, you know, main field, full field yep. event, the PGA Tour. Do you think he's going to uh, separate himself from from this other class of young players? <sighs> I just think they're different. Like I, I, I kind of I love and hate that we just wrap Morikawa, Wolf, and um, Hovland into this whole thing. I just think he's different. You know, Wolf is kind of like mini DJ where he's like really sexy to watch and he's gonna bomb the ball a million miles off the tee and all that good stuff. So like I just I I don't know if he's gonna separate himself. I I kind of just naturally try to keep them a little bit separate because I think they're different. But yeah, I I don't think people realize like like Hovland gets all a lot of the talk. Wolf gets a lot of the talk. Morikawa's awesome. He's really yeah. awesome. I agree. I I actually he may have the best career out of all of them when when it's all said and done. He I, he is a world class player. Yeah, I completely agree. So one thing I do want to do here uh before we hop off is uh this is the season of one and done. So, you know, you we, we've got this going on uh internally here where, you know, every week you pick one golfer. Um once you use that golfer, you can't use him again and you get whatever it is, how many points or however much money he captures for that week. Are you in, are you in one of these leagues, Greg? I, I got to get a little more research done. Um I think that I think a Sung JM would be a good one and done kind of bet here. I think I think this is going to be a really good week for him. Um, and I, I think there's, you, I don't know if you want to go with a Justin Thomas right now. I think he's ready for a major championship. Webb Simpson's another guy I think can have a really nice major championship season with the, especially with the PGA at Harding Park, uh, not far from where he won the U.S. Open at Olympic. I, I, I just, I, I want to stay away from the really big names in this, but I, I really have a good feeling about Sung JM this week. I don't, I don't mind that one bit because the, the cool strategy with the one and done is trying to decide where you're going to play these guys, right? And yet, if, do you want to burn Justin Thomas at the Sony Open, which is basically like the, you know, sixth smallest prize purse of the year, or do you want to save him for one of the bigger events at WGC, a major, something where if he wins it, you're getting like one and a half, two million dollars up top for a guy that can win in literally any field. So that's like kind of the strategy. Um, Webb is really interesting because you could argue play him right now, 
but web web plays so much and there are there's going to be like five tournaments a year where web is like one of the two or three betting favorites like when we get to windom like oh, you could, yeah you could play web at windom uh or like there's like five different weeks a year where you could you could get access to web but i couldn't kill you for for playing him here so i think if it was um, if I was, you know, starting my one and done, I think for me, it's probably web this week. And I just assume Justin Thomas is going to be like by far the most popular pick. Everyone will be on him. Do you think I'm making a mistake with Sung JM? You mentioned how often web plays. Sung JM plays every single week and, and there's probably going to be some tournaments where he's right up there at the top of the field. Am, am I making a mistake going with him? Oh, that's a good question. I'm trying to think if there's going to be another field. So he's like, if you look at just the odds, right? He's like the seventh shortest odds, um, which is pretty good. I, I don't know. Like, is there going to be another field where he's like fourth, third, second? Like, maybe I'm trying to think off the top of my head what that, what that field would be. Yeah. Um, well, that may be if he wins, right? Like we just talked true. about if he wins, his odds get cut in half. So it's true. You know, maybe it, maybe it is a good time to take him. Yeah. It's, uh, I, that's actually a pretty good point. Yeah. I mean, this is certainly a field where he's going to be able to compete the, the bottom, the middle and the bottom of it's, it's fairly, is fairly weak. So Sungjae is kind of a wild card because he is so valuable in this type of format. Trying to plug him in in the right spot is, is difficult, but no, I think, I think it's okay here. Um, are there any of the other guys, like, would you ever take a, a real long shot? Some of these other guys that we mentioned, like, uh, you're probably not going to take one of your, uh, one of your trick or treat guys. You're probably <laughs> not going to take Joaquin or any no. of those guys, but would you take like a, uh, like a Lonzo Griffin or some, somebody like that? So the problem is, uh, I would love to, right? If I had to make like two or three picks and then I could, I, I could, I couldn't use them ever again. I would definitely get down into the range of some of the guys that I discussed that are like perfect fits for this week specifically. The problem is you don't have to, you know, there's only like 35 or 36 picks you're going to have to make. There's right. really no reason to start burning like, like, I don't know, Joel Damon. I love Joel Damon, but there's no reason to burn him here. Like you're, you're probably never going to play him all season long. I'm, I'm a big proponent of like foot on gas from week one. Don't save anybody because what inevitably is going to happen. And we know this in six months, the PGA tour is going to look completely different. And all this value is going to open up. Like last year when Victor Hovland and Matt Wolf and Colin Morikawa jump on the scene after the U S open, like that just opens three more picks for you. And, uh, you know, two of them won. Like, it's just, I, I don't think you need to do it. It's a good point. You know, as long as this season is in a one and done kind of a league, there's 35 guys. So right. that, uh, that's a great point. So, uh, thank you very much for the help. I, I think <laughs> I'm going with Sungjae. I think you've convinced me to go with Sungjae in this week. I love it. All right. Well, that'll do it. Uh, that's this episode of the first cut Sony open DFS betting one and done preview. If you like what you've heard, do us a favor, support us, go rate and review on Apple podcasts. And I'd like to thank Greg Ducharme for joining me. You can find him on Twitter. It's at the real GFD. I'm Rick Gaiman. Hit me up on Twitter. It's at Rick run good. And we'll talk to you next time. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. 
because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 